That was nice. I like that. Back, back-to-back was, nights here, man. It was confident. Yeah, two nights in a row. We're finally mm-hmm. doing what we've been talking about, trying to, like, backlog some podcasts. Trying to get steady content like, rolling out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> keep, so. keep the train rolling, pretty much. Uh, man, I... I don't have much to say right now. You know, after last night, we kind of caught up after a week of not talking too much. And let's just jump yeah, right we'll, in. You got anything else? Yeah, we yeah, can jump in. Fortunate to have uh, Bill Bachman on last night and yeah. fortunate to have another wonderful guest on tonight, which we'll introduce here in just a second. But yeah, yeah I'll let Mike do the, uh, the spiel here the spiel. for anybody who's new to us. Let's see if I can get it the first time. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini. And with me, as always, is Evan Morrill. And make sure you hit subscribe on the YouTube channel, like, comment on the video if you want to join the conversation. We do our best to reply to all comments when we can, uh, as time allows. Hit us up on social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, uh, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to toss us a dollar or two a month to support us, check out lonestarpercussion.com and use the code AGEDOUT uh, to save $50 or to save $10, excuse me, on any order of $50 or more. It's real easy to get there on percussion equipment. It all stacks up real quick. Save yourself some money. Do yourself a favor. They'll take care of you over there. Uh, and after that, let's let uh, Evan take it away and get right into today's guest. Yeah, not much introduction needed here, um, but fortunate enough to have the legendary Mike McIntosh joining us. What's up, man? Oh, my gosh. It's my honor. What is up, fellas? <laughs> uh, just chilling, man. We uh, appreciate you taking the time to just sit down with us, hang for a few uh, shoot some stories back and forth and I don't know really get to know you better because this is the first time I think I've ever spoken to you in person even though I was in front of you for a camp one time <laughs> well I can say the exact same thing there was a camp when I was in front of you uh, <laughs> and uh, you know these podcasts are great uh, I've done several of them and I need them because I'm up here in Minneapolis you know we're all coveted up and this is kind of my only one of my only little like you know, expressive things that I can get going. So I, I truly appreciate the opportunity. No, awesome. thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. If one thing that has come from COVID that's a positive is the time that people have to connect with individuals that maybe in our normal hustle and bustle of life, if we would just say like, oh, I don't have time or that's a phone call that I missed that I have time to pick up now and catch up with this person who lives in California or Minneapolis. So right. I'm going to take, I'm going to count my blessings and my positives when I can. Oh, I'm down. I mean, I've spent, oh gosh, we're probably going on three day, 390. Uh, no, let's say 350 of just straight, you know, daughter time every day being, having a chance to be in, I got a four and a seven year old. Um, she'll be eight on Valentine's day. So I, you know, it's been amazing. We got a cat, we got a dog. Um, and out of this craziness always comes some sort of art. There's an explosion after wars and famines, and I just can't wait to see what comes of it. Yeah, I think that what people are doing, um, and this will, I'm sure we'll talk about it more later, but like, for instance, the Cavaliers PASIC clinic and things like that, and what indoor groups are putting together, and what I'm sure some of the summer band groups are starting to put together, is really going to drive a creative force and an avenue that the activity hasn't had to go to, but is now out of kind of necessity and just force, I would say. The, uh, you know, the basic thing was killer. Uh, it was a labor of love for sure. And it, like these podcasts, it was kind of a gift to the, uh, you know, it was, it was self-serving in the way that it was healing. Um, and it, it, and it, it satiated like an artistic thirst. Um, but it was also a gift to the community, you know, like, hey, we're still here. Here's some, here's some beats, here's some interviews, here's some love, here's taco in a bag. And, you know, hopefully you can get something out of it. So, you know, there's been a lot of giving and sharing coming out of this, which I found very endearing for sure, especially in our tribe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I have only had a chance to check out, about, check out about the first 10 minutes of that. And already I was like, yeah, I have to make time to watch the rest of this. Where it was like Dan Spaulding and uh, those guys up front. I was like, this is going to be just going to be content. It's kind of like in my mind when I watched those first 10 minutes of it, how I felt watching the first episode of the last dance when it came out for the michael jordan thing it's just like these kind of backstories and things that you didn't have but it's fresh content because i've never seen it i've never heard it so i was just like yes more of this please well those cats got a chance to like dive in behind the music like what was the composer thinking when he wrote it and you know for me it was a chance to humanize mitch markovich you know i mean i've just known him through 
you know, Tornado and, and his other solos. And, and it's like, you know, these, these people are human just like we are. And, you know, what was a trip um, was the fact that, you know, people that are classic drummers or retro or old school, however you want to say it, uh, older generations, baby boomers, um, you know, the, sometimes we get a negative connotation on the uh, youth of today because of, you know, our choreography or, our, you know, uh, all the things that have been integrated into drumming. And, you know, I got to say, we don't we don't do that. We don't say anything negative. At least I don't. I don't hear it. Um, but but I got to tell you, man, these kids today can do all of that. And they ran the hell out of the 61 and the 67 and the 74 and the 82. So, you know, I, I think the skill set of today's percussionists is amazing. To me, drumming is straight up like skateboarding. I mean, it's just a progression. You know, you're just trying to do the coolest next trick and respect, you know, respect the, the history of it for sure. So it was a great history lesson for these guys, man. And I was just so proud of them. Like they really showed up, the front ensemble, the battery, the staff, because, you know, it was it was a butt kicking to get it all done. I mean, it was a ton of work. But, you know, we had a great crew. Um, you know, my boy from uh, Nashville, Mason, he was just he killed it on the mix. And, uh, you know, Jeff Hardowitz did did all the all the video stuff. So Nick Mason and Jeff, major shout out to those guys, uh, you know, all former Cavaliers, which is really cool. Yeah, I think I watched the first clip that they blended together. Was it the Larry? I'm going to I don't want to say it, McCormick, the 64. Was, lick? Yeah, it's called the 64, but it was from 67. That's yeah, a bit confusing. 64 count thing. Yeah, OK, that, OK. That is like in your skull, right? Yeah, I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> but the editing, I was like, this is very seamless so whoever did this because i've seen my wife's a middle school band director i've seen her trying to do like her own little mashups of like all right like my kids are submitting these videos but i'll, I'll have them <laughs> mashed up so they it's like a duet instead of like a solo right and i'm just like sitting there thinking about that and i'm like all right <laughs> well you know man it was it was cool because the, the the amount of work that went into it was you know i mean there it just took a lot of heart and it was just real reverent and respectful using the core kind of like through a green lens was was really hip um but you know it was definitely a labor of love but we got it done so so quickly we were highly organized uh, thanks to another cavalier kyle miller like kyle goes over and oh teaches, i know kyle yeah he teaches businesses in dubai how to be more efficient so i'm like uh okay you're helping organize a basic clinic and like we had time to do like the credits five times, like version five of the credits for that ultimate emotional tearjerker ending, you know. So it was hip, man. It was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it for sure. I think that Mike and I have had a newfound respect for what the older generation has done too. Just more recently, diving back into some of those videos because we started doing like the reaction videos, and and a lot of it was newer content. But I was like. We were talking to Josh Bricky, texting him back and forth, and he's like, "Man, you guys need to start doing like some Star ninety three, some uh, BK ninety five, things like that." And I was like, "Man, I haven't watched those in a long time." Right. And a lot of the comments people have had on the videos were like, "I never knew about this group, or I never knew this group was this." Right. Um, I'm gonna be honest. So it's just really eye opening. I'm gonna be honest. I had never seen some of those a lot of those groups and i was just talking to evan earlier like there's a bunch of like 97 bd 95 96 just various groups in the 90s that most people haven't been super aware of and i've never seen before i was like dude we have to react to this we have to watch <laughs> it for no other reason than i just want to watch it with you and just like see what you think and talk about it and it just seems like a super good opportunity and a lot of that stuff we can't let that stuff fall by the wayside. We can't well, forget about the past. Because what's been cool, you can tell people have been going in there like after they remodeled their bathroom, they went and like went through their VHS tape collection. Yeah. And I've yeah. seen so many <laughs> like things surface of like 82, you know, uh, Dallas warm up Bridgman or, you know, 85 BD or, you know, 88 Phantom Regiment. And it, man, it's just been amazing because you know all that stuff's out there. Yeah, someone's got it somewhere. But to see like the victory gig from '82 BD when all I really had was like the the PBS broadcast, it's just amazing to kind of like to humanize that stuff and check it out. I've loved it. I've I've totally meant like I, you know, I get up early and I I've watched so many drumline videos lately. It's crazy because you miss it. You just you miss. I don't know, man. Like you play a, a group and they 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 bang a roll and you're like, wow, I'm ah, that's I that miss that. 
Yeah. Yeah, that 97 BD video, I, I think there's an infamous Charlie Poole moment on the tape where they play like a super fast, like 16th note role. But the rest of that, too, you kind of forget about it once you until you go back and listen to it and you're like, oh, yeah, they did actually do that. Or somebody released a bunch of cadets, like 95, 96 yeah. videos. They're like hours and hours of tape recently. I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. Uh, judges tapes popping up that people are like, oh, I found this old cassette. Now I'm just going to like convert it into an MP3. You know, I've got a cassette of 80, uh, 87, of 2000, maybe eight blue coats, Allentown. I think they busted like a nine, eight, nine, seven that night. Um, but I can't get, I don't know that I don't have anything to play it on for one, but I'm not sure if it's even still working, but for some reason I just have that tape. Yeah. I just heard the 2011, uh, Allentown tape, Jeff Prosper. I, I don't know if I'd ever heard that. I think the last time I listened to that was probably on the bus after Allentown in 2011. <laughs> Uh, and it, you just forget, you know, those dudes, you just forget the shows. You, It brings back memories of how you cleaned parts, what got hosed, you know, names for parts, spots where you remember like it, it kind of would always suck. And then finally it cleaned up. But yeah, man, it, it, it it's it's been a nice trip down memory lane. When I listen to those tapes and we talked a little bit uh, to Mike Davis, throw another mic in the mix here about it, just yeah, yeah. the intimacy that we were able to share with like him as a judge or anyone as a judge and you as a member or like as a staff member listening to it, they have a vantage point that very, very few people get. And you do recall things. I, every time I listen to our 09 crown tape, the beginning of the show, I'm like, man, this sounds sick, but that reset sucked. Top to 17, <laughs> top to 17, top to 17. I can just hear Lee Bettis and Zach in my head, like reset. I'm like, Oh, it's like right. PTSD almost. I, I still have nightmares it, it, of reset at a set. It just puts you back in the moment. Reset at a set. Oh, Tom Monks, man. I still have <laughs> nightmares from 2010. All right, reset at a set, guys. Reset at a set. It's, it's blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, you know, it's it's 99% perspiration. Wrap, yeah. wrap, wrap, wrap with a good attitude. Fix it. Move on. 100%. And I think that that level of love for the activity and just seeing all this content is keeping people going i mean and that we've always approached this podcast with that understanding too fantini and i are avid fans of drum corps i mean obviously we did it we put in thousands of hours to be able to do it so we understand the respect that it deserves from the for performing sure. members even if it's something that we don't necessarily like oh, it's not quite my cup of tea but sure. man those kids are those kids are going after it like yeah, can't are. knock They're it into it yeah. Um, so that's always kind of like been our vantage point with this. But those tapes, man, just going back and reacting to those videos and those tapes has been so refreshing. Well, it's just so cool that there's so many people that still love, you know, the activity and sunscreen and the funnel cakes at Allentown and, <laughs> you, know, you know, just just all of it. They're, they're, that common thread that gets away from you because you're living your daily life in the rat race. But then you have time to reflect because of. COVID and you're like, man, there were, you know, all these little things really bonded us all together for sure. A lot of love in that respect. Jay Bernie crumb. What an atmosphere. Love that. Dude. I remember walking, uh, you know, I, I, I marched 88 as a rookie and I think Jay Dole was the first rookie to never march drum corps to march in that snare lane. I think, I don't know if I was the second one, I can't remember, but <laughs> you know, saxophone player. And like, I'm walking up the, and this was when, uh, this is when it was still the track was track used to be like red earth dirt. Uh, and it was, you know, you, I mean, your uniforms, you were covered in it if, when you moved across the track. But uh, for some reason, it was me, uh, Lee Bettis and, and Matt from that 87 snare. They were both March 87 and 88 walking up the track like we met each other. And it's weird that I would have just met Lee Bettis the first time I saw cadets, you know, <laughs> point of just, you know, hanging out and rapping and and. Uh, you know, those those little things matter, you know, I mean, who'd have thought, you know, 30 years later, we'd be competing against each other in that same kind of parking lot. It's nuts. Yeah, that is a a long parallel history really between is. you and Lee. Uh, oh, man, just thinking about that. Lee, Lee's getting back in the game. I love it. Dude, Lee, let me tell you, Lee's a mensch, man, you know. It's too bad he's from Canada. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Lee is Lee is a super super guy, and he's a good dad. 
dude, I love Lee. I, I can hear his Canadian accent. It's like, it's just a triplet roll, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> just, these are parts, man. These are parts. Yeah. <laughs> just triplets. I'm like, all right, Lee, but it's like 200 and it's fast. But all right, you're right. You're right. You're right. All right. There was a famous tape from 96. It was kind of the Buddy Rich, you know, behind the scenes, you know, the band's clamming and he's going off. There was a tape where, uh, and we've all had our moments, you know, and in fact, God, thank God, you know, there wasn't Instagram around when I was, you know, 25 right. years old. Um, you know, Lee was, was giving him the business and, you know, man, I, I don't have a problem with that. You know, sometimes you got to call, like, see it. Uh, oh, was this the, the Phantom warm up? Yeah, I think it was, you know, like you're playing old parts and, you know, I'll that recently resurfaced, speaking of which is on YouTube. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> I just. I just saw it uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "Man, that reminds me of a spring training." Lee Bettis, he like threatened to send the kid home. Uh, he's like, "You want me to send you home?" He's like, "Dude, you you better figure this out. Or you're going home." Uh, in in Lee Bettis's own iteration of that, but right, yeah, <laughs> I loved it. I mean, talk about pushing you though. He would push you so. It's well, very you know, like Tom. So go ahead. I was just gonna say like Tom did for for Fantini and them at Blue Stars and stuff. Oh yeah. Well, you know, good teachers, and I've said this, good teachers get students to be as good as they thought they could be, and that's great. But great teachers make those children better than they ever thought they could be. And that's that extra, like, 2% that makes the difference, man. And Hell that's yeah. a bitch, because you're that, that's that gray area, you know, where the child doesn't know. He, it's fight or flight for them. But, man, great master teachers can get that out of that kid. And that's why you see those old cadet lines where it's like, you know, not not the most insane, t- obviously talented, but not like incredible athletes. But man, their work ethic, like that 80s, all those uh, behind, you know, 30 years, those 87 cadet videos coming out. I worship that drum line and just seeing how hard they worked, man, and how hard he pushed them. I mean, it was, you know, it makes a difference, man, making the child better than they ever thought they could be. And that's why you get epic videos that last a lifetime. Well, I, I think, think we're done here. I think that uh, kind of takes everything. <laughs> I think that just covers it. We That's can't top that. Stuff. So, oh, <laughs> dude, wasn't uh, Fantini wasn't Unks telling us that he was just all about drilling that eighty-seven line? Oh, yeah. And Hannah came in, was like, "Dude, just just give them a break. Just here's some frisbees. They they got it, man." Yeah, <laughs> like, it was finals day, and he told us the story. He was like, "Yeah, we were we were really really good, but I was so locked in on we're not going to get beat. <laughs> we're going to win," and I was beating these guys on some fast triplet roll part and <laughs> Hannum walks up and he puts his sh- arm on my shoulder and he goes Tom uh, or he goes angst they got it let's play some frisbee don't worry <laughs> about it stop that is beautiful <laughs> that is man I had that happen to me with Brett we we're in Dallas in 2001 and we're on an asphalt field and you know we're just Oof. we're kicking it right mid Dallas heat Brett comes out they arc it up they play some stuff and he's like yeah take 45 off for dinner and like literally, I was like, you know, about to say, okay, reset. And he said that, and I was like, you know what? He's right. He's right. But and those, I think he took me to dinner. And then Brett's funny because you know, he's got to have you know hot water making his ice cubes so they're clear. So we had to go to three different restaurants to find that. But hey, <laughs> Brett, Brett is absolutely, uh, you know, Tom Float, Brett are my two big time, for sure. But I bet that, I bet that moment for you impacted. The same way that that did for Angst with Hannah at that sure. moment, it, and like stuck with you, and probably has an imprint on I would say your teaching philosophy today and the way that you approach rehearsals or just getting the best out of a group, because every group has their own identity and it's not going to require the same formula every single summer. I'm sure. For sure. I mean, you know, great teaching moments can be like a second long. Where you're like, I mean, I'm still talking about that moment today. It was 20 years ago, you know, where I had an epiphany and I figured it out. I'm like, you know what? He's right. And yeah, I'm sure it did. You know, I'm sure I've done that. You know, I'm sure I've done that. Hey, staff, go to, you know, here's here's the keys to my truck. You know, there's 50 bucks. Go to a movie, get something to eat. You know, I'll take the line for an hour and then we'll, you know, we'll give them the rest of the afternoon off. I, you know, it's, it's weird, man. It's like you're so, as a tech, and you guys know, you're so absolutely locked in. You know, like Cougar, you know, you haven't lost the edge yet. And you're just, you know, you're just in it to win it and the force through the trees. And you're like, you know what? He's right. So absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know, you, you got to be open to those moments as teachers or you're never going to improve. You know, I mean, we're only going to improve by learning what we don't know. Yeah. 
Oh, dude, yeah, absolutely. Because well I, I know that I've heard stories from uh, people that marched under you, Blue Coats, so 0708, Brian, Chris Gary. I mean, a lot of those dudes, just about your approach to some of the rehearsals where things maybe weren't clicking the way they normally would. And obviously, it's not really a chops issue at that point. It's just more of a, you guys are in your own head right now, or I don't know what's what you're thinking about or what you're not thinking about. But like, let's just take a second, clear that headspace, and we'll come back and see what we got. Um, and I think that approach is very fresh and mentally sustainable for the 82, 84 days of summer grind, whatever, however many days it is. But yeah, I've heard many of those stories. So I think that that Brett moment you're talking about probably shows itself in an instance like that. Well, those are things that you don't, you know, you don't learn in a book. You know, you learn, you know, you learn what to say in school and then you learn not what to say in real life. And, you know, it was weird, too, because with those dudes, that that was an that that was not normal. Uh, You know, the blue coats uh, experience. So like 2003, you know, I'm with Cavs and, um, you know, I went in and worked with the blue coats for a week and it was very different. But I just I liked their leadership. I liked their administration. And I thought they treated the, the, the kids really well. Uh, so, you know, I'm a firm believer. It's like, look, if you want to write, you want to design, go out and get your own damn gig. You know, don't take anybody else's. <laughs> and, you know, Brett was the man and a huge amount of respect, even though I'd done some rewrites and, you know, helped write some things just because, you know, that's what you do when you're a team. You know, it's a team thing. And I went to Blue Coats in 04 and we had Erin Riggleman and I still love her to death. Just an amazing section leader. Set the bar so high, so classy. And we moved everybody into my, we used to move everyone into my crib. My wife would go buy like $900 worth of uh, of food and she would cook all week and the staff and the snares, tenors and bass drums, everybody would crash at my house. And I remember one year, everybody kicked in 50 bucks. And for some reason, I thought Eric Shriver didn't. So I like was asking him <laughs> to mow my lawn and he was like, <laughs> and I didn't realize that he had paid. And he's like, dude, I got to ask, well, I'll do it. But why do you keep asking me to mow your lawn? I was like, well, I, I didn't. I mean, if you I didn't pay, I mean, maybe that's the, you know, you could do that. And he's like, oh, I did pay. And I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. <laughs> totally disrespecting the sex leader. Mow my lawn. You know, sorry. I can just that. hear but that it was just Eric's, an anomaly of talent. And, you know. We were young, Ray Uliberry, Eric Ridenauer, you know, this young staff, um, Andy Bill, um, Brad Palmer, Tom Rarick, uh, Megan. I mean, we were just young. We didn't know any better. And you just kind of do what you think is right. And like, you know, Sunday at Cracker Barrel, you talk about it and go, I guess that was right. It's always hindsight. But, you know, Justin Lewis was was very, very artistic drummer. And we just filled the spots around him. And he would come back drumming the book. You know, Chris Hartman would do it at Night Express, too. He'd played a certain way. And I would just teach it. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I can do that. Um, it wasn't like I was trying to mold him in the way I would play. You know, it was kind of like old, new, borrowed, blue. Some of your stuff, some of mine, some new, and, and some, some blue, whatever. So those guys kind of, you know, formed their own way they would play. And we just had a – Tim Maynard just had an incredible staff that could clean that. And, you know, that drum line was, I think they were 8th, 7th, and 04. And then 05, I think we jumped. Uh, maybe we were 3rd or 4th. And then 06, I, I think we were 3rd. And then 07, you know. second in a couple of those nights, they, 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 Yeah, we tied Blue Devils. Uh, and uh, um, we tied them in a sub-caption. And they beat us by two tenths in another caption. But, my gosh, we went on, you know, three hours before they did. We went on during the day. They went on at night. And I just, you know, whatever. Hats off to BD. But I still... I'm just really proud of the growth they had. And then that line in 08, our show wasn't as cool with the boxer, but that line was, there's a warm up floating around. Um, it's Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta a lot. Let me tell you, I had just got in that night. I was mad at the bass drums. They were mad at me. Everybody was mad. I don't know. Everybody was pissed. And man, they took it out on the drums and the music. And I'm like, that's unbeatable. That's unbeatable this year. <laughs> Um, and, you know, it was just great. We had so many people at that 08 warm-up, like uh, um, Jim Campbell and Tom Hannum. And, you know, even Skojo stopped by. And uh, it was funny because uh, they played this crazy mackerel in the closer, like from their eyeballs. And, uh, oh, gosh, um, who's the guy that taught Mystique? He's a lawyer now. Jeez, uh, uh, I'm so uh, Mark? Uh, no, I'm no. so sorry. I, I'm I'm blowing his name. He's such a cool dude. Super good friends with Shane Gwaltney. Marched back in the day. Um, 
Oh my gosh, I'll remember his name. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, anyway, he slid. Carl, Carl slid over from from uh, from Cavies, and you know you you see a different line. You're you're not used to certain sounds or impressions or expressions, and they played that mackerel, and it, I saw his eyes like get huge, like what? <laughs> it, it was it was cool, man. It was just really cool, and we found the sweet zone in 08. But that that, that I was, was in that lot. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it was, was an there. anomaly. We had we just had really good kids. It was one of those things that doesn't happen. I got to tell you, I mean, you know, we won in 2011, but I, I've kind of been chasing that. You know, there's been a bit of a politically correct thing, you know, happening. Like, you know, well, we only want to drum at these tempos, and you know, I don't know, man. These old hands, I don't know if they can clean that. And you know, Tim Maynard would look at me and say, "Oh, there's three new things in here I've never seen. Cool," and he'd just go to town and clean it. But none of us had any sort of inhibition. And I think that coupled with the talent created that anomaly. That was that, you know, 06, 07, 08, 05, 04 Blue Coats. Yeah, I mean, obviously Blue Coats have been a longstanding organization. But when I look back in it, it's very, I guess, prevalent to me just because it was really at the time when I started getting into drum corps 04 and on, uh, just being exposed to it in high school. But now looking back on it, it's even more of a, easy pathway moment for me to recognize the trajectory that coats are on now especially from a percussive standpoint oh my god very much established in that 05 to 08 lines well um, we've obviously that but they have just i mean they yeah. have shunned out exponentially tom rarick knows what he's doing and roger carter you know those guys just amazing for sure uh i was in like i said i was in that 08 lot there on Bloomington's campus last outdoor finals uh, rip in my opinion but it was just I remember that summer hopping from lot to lot going from cadets to blue coats to phantom and I was just like man this is insane what is going on around these <laughs> course but right uh, but yeah I remember that mackerel and there's like the quarter note space into the shot those question and answer roles, there was no room for error, literally, because it was a continuum of 24th notes. So literally, there was no <laughs> You know? And yeah, I mean, I'm just really proud of that. You know? I feel it. had a really nice conversation with Skojo after the summer we were uh, judging uh, WGI out in California. And, uh, you know, those intimate car rides when you can talk to Scott for an hour, I mean, just invaluable. But, you know, I love that man to death. He was really complimentary. It was really cool. I feel like that's something that's normal or the norm for your writing. It's just there's no room for error. It's very mathematical. It's a lot of interplay and intricacy. And like, is are you a very mathematical person, or is that just I kind of? I suck at math. <laughs> <laughs> I suck at math. Uh, you know, I've been doing a, a bit of a pivot. You know, I'm a sales manager for a solar company, and uh, there's a lot of spreadsheet stuff involved. I've gotten better at it. Um, like when I was in third grade, I tested it like 99.9 .9 for reading comprehension. So they're like, okay, you're like 11th grade math, 11th grade English, but you're like, uh, you're <laughs> like mid-year third grade in your math. Um, so I had a 57.6, you know, in the math thing. So much more of a ENFP, much more of an extrovert, much more of a language, you know, processing type thing. And, uh, yeah, I'm not very good at math. I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd, but I'm not a nerd in that way. Unfortunately, I wish I was. That's wild it for me to hear. It seems surprising. Really? Because yeah. from an outside perspective, uh, the arranging sometimes feels so metrically, I don't want to say complex, but just different. Accurate. How it evolves over long <laughs> phrases. Um, even, and I don't know if you wrote Meter Diddle, but just an exercise like Meter Diddle, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, just like the metric changes and the hand speed changes and the math that I think in my head when it throwing things over the bar line, the hemial rhythms and all that. Uh, so that's a little surprising to hear. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I try not to sound like myself. And I think part of that is like, you know, ego. Like, I, I feel like I can clean a lot of things, you know. As Flo, Flo used to say, man, I could clean dog poop, you know. And sort of <laughs> which he, the man can. One of the, the, the finest technician I've ever met. Him and Rick Rodriguez. But, you know, I, like, I don't like sounding like myself. So for me... It, it's that skateboard progression analogy again. It's like uh, you, you should try and push like it's our job to push it as far as we can, because some little kid, you know, is going to pick that up and take it further than you ever thought, you know, anyone could. And that's progression. You know, that that's what it's about. 
pushing as far as you can, trying new things. If they fail, they fail beautifully. You know, they fl- they fail with swagger and panache. So what can you do? Well, you've definitely achieved that goal of evolution. You definitely failed. No. <laughs> no, you de- I was going to say you definitely have achieved that goal of evolution because you can go back and watch the different eras of your writing and just watch it evolve year to year to year to year to what it is now. And it's just so, so kudos. It's been, I've pretty much been following your stuff since probably those blue coats lines you were talking about. And it's just a complete evolution. I never know what's coming next the first time I see your books and it's just really cool to watch and listen to. So, you know, that means a ton to me. That means a ton to me, Michael. It really does. You know, the only thing I will do from the previous year is I will get the, the first version and uh, it's funny, Michael Martin and I always laugh. It's like, always keep your first version because the, the design crew usually comes back around to the first thing we demonstrate in, in the design meeting. But I will go and listen to the first version of the music, and then I will go and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pull the score out from January, and then I'll pull the, like the Sibelius file from like you know finals night because we're real meticulous with the scores. Like if you guys came in to teach, we'd hand you the score bound you know, in uh, tabloid size size with uh, a pencil that's not been used yet. Like, here's not what we played last week. Here's what we played last night. So I'll go and I'll see what changed and evolved. And I'll try and start there every year. Like, I'll try and get all of the normal BS, you know, change stuff out of the way. Well, that was a dumb sticking or, you know, I shouldn't have put that five stroke there kind of thing. But as far as content, you know, and, and thinking about, you know, abstract concepts, I am trying to get crazy. I am trying to sound different and, and, and create new things. And sometimes it fails and sometimes it's cool. But I'm okay with both. I, I, I love that because watching your style of writing too, I feel like you have, I'm sure it changes based on like who, who you're writing for, like from a brass composition too. And I feel like the evolution from like the blue coats to the Cavaliers, there's a little bit of a style change just because there's different brass arrangers. It's just a different team. Sure. It's kind of a different, like, I don't want to say tradition, but I do think that yeah. course have their traditions. For sure. Um, but it was able to capture the essence. Like, when I think about, like, the 05 or 2011 Cavaliers, just the very beginning of the show, that all the rim interplay stuff, but it still has, like, what I would consider like a classic Cavaliers groove, which I was introduced to from like 02, 03, like That's frameworks true. and stuff, but yeah. still captures a uniqueness to that like kind of metric identity that I personally associate with you, where they're doing like this metric change from the seven o'clock gut to the center to the two o'clock gut edge of the of the drum and stuff like that. Right. So I think it, it there's the nuance that's subtle of the style of the core and your own personal style, uh, which is really cool to listen to. I mean, you've got to be respectful of the audience and you've got to be respectful of the performers. I mean, I kind of learned the hard way my first time there at Cavaliers that it was very, you know, cut, cut and dried sometimes. And you had to double teach. You had to make the membership think it was their idea. And that, that takes a lot of time. And I wasn't successful, you know, in some ways for sure. So the second time around, you know, I, I really tried to be as reverent as I could. And you know, that 2011 book, the first three notes of the show that boom, 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 that's the whole show. If you, if you go back and you think about, and you watermark that rhythm across your glasses or across your, your, your ear pods, and you listen to the show, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in that beginning, the middle, the end, the ballad. I mean, it's everywhere in there. So yeah, man, I mean, it that was just another you know, right place, right time. You've got, you know, Michael Gaines and crew and Scott Coder and, and Drew Shanefield and Andy Toth and, you know, the best of the best. It's really hard to kind of mess that up. Steve, you've been around for a good list of groups that ended up winning Fred Sanford, uh, 99, 2000 Cavaliers, 2011 Cavaliers. Were there things about those summers that just felt different? within the membership, within the staff, within the design. Obviously, some of those 2000s years, Cavaliers well, also won overall championships as well. Our, our section leader bailed. And, you know, they almost won in 98. They won sem- uh, they won prelims. Cadets were up in semis. And, you know, um, ca- uh, you know the, the riding of SCV, Jim Casella, was just unbelievable. You know, so I, th- I think 
holistically, that probably deserved the award. We threw one little tiny roll that night. We had super talent. We had a quad drummer, Microbot, um, that could just, he had perfect pitch, and he could put their tenor sound anywhere with the snare. So when you've got, like, you know, defensive backs and the quarterback talent like that, you know, you can do a lot. That 99 line was just all about solid hard work. Our section leader bailed. Now, of course, I came from Night Express, so someone was like, hey, man, Xanadu quit. I was like, okay, cool. They're like, what? I was like, yeah, this is normal for me, you know. <laughs> you know, we're, we're lucky to have the same line, you know, month to month. But I, I was kind of used to that. That line worked so hard. 2000, it was just all, you know, the perfect storm of talent and the show. And Michael Gaines was coming into his own and the Cavaliers were coming into their own. And I remember putting that closer together, Niagara Falls. And it was at 192. And I remember going up on the top field at the rehearsal site learning the closer in 2000 and I literally after about four sets I turned to Brett and I was like this is different because uh, they were moving we weren't used to 192 like that you know it was only during like the last 20 seconds of a tune that whole chart was 192 and I was like okay this th this is something very different so those lines you know were just they were amazing the 2001 line you know they worked so hard um 2002 the same you know Jason Pena incredible talent 2003 uh, that 2003 show, uh, Spin Cycle, that's probably Spin the hardest cycle. show ever attempted. I will say there's other shows probably as hard that I'm not aware of, so I, I, I'm sorry if I'm speaking um, poorly <laughs> in that way, but I, that's probably the hardest thing that I had to clean. And, um, yeah, each line had its own personality. Each line had its own quirkiness, but that was Brett coming into his own. You know, he started writing in 99. You know, the guy wrote two years, his first two years, he won drums. That's pretty spectacular. That's nuts. Was 2000 or 2001 the year that opener was like the choom, 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 taco, da 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 Oh, 2000, yeah. Dude, yeah. yeah. You're just like right out of the gate, you're like, what? I remember I was at a New Year's Eve party and Richard Saucedo said, dude, come out to the car, I want you to hear something. And he played me the opener, I was like, yeah. <laughs> this is way hip, for sure. <laughs> So, you know, you, you kind of have to like, you know, you kind of have to bake the, the cake to whatever, you know, whoever's eating it based on talent, based on skill set, based on, you know, talent, talented things. Maybe some of the members can do or some swagger they, they bring to the table, which gives the line ownership and creates, you know, a unique identity for that year. Um, and you get everybody close. So like when you make a comment, they all migrate the same way. But I'm cool with taking, you know, like it's like football, you know, if you got to a group that, you know, you got a quarterback with a golden arm, you're probably going to pass. You know, if you got two incredible running backs, you're probably going to be run. You know, you know, if you're incredible defense, you're going to be known for your defense. So you kind of take what what you're given and you make the best of it. Yep. I got I have to ask something real quick, not to change subjects, but you mentioned yeah, like it. you lost somebody in like 99, they just quit. Was Bill cuz Bill Bachman last night mentioned somebody quitting in like 94 cadets was just quitting way more common in the nineties. Like, Cause I feel no. like we never hear of people quitting mid tour. Now people get sent home occasionally for various reasons, but like <laughs> was quitting just like a thing that was, you know, not I, as... don't, I don't think it's any more prevalent than that. It is now or vice versa. Um, you know, you, you had some pretty prominent, you know, I had a couple like cats bail, you know, for whatever reason. And, you know, bless their hearts. I'm sure, you know, that that was the right decision. Um, you know, I really wanted to bail in 88. I mean, I sucked and it was tough, man. And <laughs> I, I went, I drove my 71 Chevelle with Firethorn metallic red Chevelle with uh, goddess gold stripes um, with Krager SS's and hooker headers and cherry bombs. You guys probably don't know about that stuff, but that's, I had a, I had a sweet ride in high school that I paid for myself. My friend and I, Tommy, Tommy was, uh, you know, my, my really good drumming friend. And he would always, he'd get inverted cheese on Monday and I'd get them on Thursday kind of thing. He was always a little bit ahead of me. Uh, so we drove out to Concord, man, from Nashville. And, you know, we took pictures and, and wow. had a good time and spent four days driving out. And then as soon as we got there, he just stopped progressing. Uh, he ended up being bipolar and having like a ton of stuff, you know, unfortunately. But it's sad because, you know, like he was my friend and he left me. And I remember being so mad at him. Like I made him take a cab from Concord to SFO, which is at the time was 50 bucks. Now it'll probably be 300 bucks. Oh, my uh, gosh. Because like we were living at Flo's. So we didn't have a place to live. And like my card got broken into and stuff. 
So, you know, I wanted to bail, man. And I remember talking to my dad. My dad's like, look, I know Tommy came home. He goes, you got this. So I remember getting my core jacket early, like white core jacket with the Blue Devil, you know, pointing, holding the Shaco, conquered Blue Devils. And Vern Johnson, my boy Vern Johnson, who I love to this day, looked at me and says, a little early on the draw there, eh, Macintosh? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get cut. Man, you know, it. I, I remember the day, Scott Johnson, we're out at Somerville, and I'm. it was me and then two guys, and then Kevin Murray was in the middle, my boy Kevin Murray. And uh, Scott looked at me and pointed and said, all right, you know, and gave like gave me the finger like this way, you know, like come that didn't give me the finger, but like, you know, said, hey, come this way. And I started to step out of the line. He said, no, the guy next to you. And I was like, oh, my God. So the dude inside of me got cut. And I was like, uh, you know, any moment now. Oh, so, wow. Scott comes back, man, and points again. And I'm like, yep, all right. Well, I made it to April. And I stepped out again. And he said no. And he pointed the dude inside of me again. So now I'm standing next to Kevin Murray. And this was just one of the clouds parting. Ah! And I just, <laughs> the, his beats sounded so big and delicious. And I was just eating them up. And I was inside his sound. I just had a great day playing that rehearsal. I think I ticked one or two times in a couple hours, just basically because I didn't have the physical wherewithal to play like one or two spots. Um, and he turned to me after he says, yeah, man, you're drumming. And I was like, cool. And then our top bass at the time, Brown Mills came up and marched the snare in 90. He's like, dude, man, Kevin Murray said you're drumming. Dude, you're drumming, man. <laughs> I'm this I'm this nerdy kid from, you know, green kid from Nashville, Tennessee, man. I didn't know. I was like, okay. But it was hairy, you know, and I, I we went to Japan and I wanted to bail, man. I didn't have very many friends and I missed home and I still, you know, I wasn't very good. So I get it. You know, I get it why people are like, you know, I've had enough of this, but I'm glad I stuck it out because it changed my life. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> Puts you on a trajectory that, I mean, I think it's wild to look back at moments like that and be able to pinpoint certain moments of your life that have such a ripple effect to where you are now. Like I have one that basically I can pen back, reach back to the high school that I feel like is the reason that I am currently married to my wife. Um, one killer. What was it? Um, I, I was uh, a freshman at a high school in Lexington, Bryan station, and my brother was a senior. So I knew everybody in the school. Like I was very, like in the mix because I was just riding his coattail. And for whatever reason, and my parents had their reasons, but they approached me like, hey, we'd really like to send you across town to their school, Henry Clay. Um, and I was just like, okay. And for, I don't know why I said okay, because I was super popular. Like I'd been at the middle school, went to freshman year of high school. And so I, I was with all my friends for years and years and years and years. And I was just like, okay, they gave some reasons why, like, oh, this opportunity educationally, this, this, this program. But I was just like, okay. So that decision, for some reason, to uproot my life and go to a school where I knew pretty much no one, uh, jump in my sophomore year. But eventually, that is where I met Justin Fisher and Chris Logue, who were the drum instructors there. And... Um, those dudes talked so highly about Moorhead and like we could just go and like drum at any given time with all these people and they were just down and there was this culture and they talked about Eric Ward and all these people who were there and I was just like I want that I, I don't know why I don't care what else I do at Moorhead but I know I'm gonna go there and drum right um but eventually went there drum did the marching band that's where I met my wife she was a music education major she was in the marching band she's in the music program and almost 10 years later here we are <laughs> well 12 years from then but 10 years married so i love pretty that wild. that is absolutely awesome cool do y'all have any children we do not have children uh, we just got a pandemic dog though i feel like a lot of people um because <laughs> it was an opera it was an awesome opportunity to train her uh right so but yeah i can think back to that moment it's like I'm pretty sure that's moment is why I'm married to this woman right here. So Well, you know, those moments present themselves so strong. It's kind of like the universe is saying, I'm going to really spell this out for you, you know, so you don't screw this up for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mine wasn't so much the universe spelling it out, but mine was a very knee-jerk response to a question. So I went to like a private grade school, K through 8, here in Louisville, and then was switching to the public high school 
uh, near my, my family's house. And my parents were looking, weren't, there was like one other kid going to the public high school. Everybody else was going to the private schools in town. And right. they were trying to think of things for me to get into and involved with to meet kids and stuff and have more friends in high school. And I had been taking drum set lessons at a local music shop for like two months, maybe like the spring of my eighth grade year. And my dad randomly met a guy through work and told them that I'd been taking drum set lessons and they were looking for something for me to get into. And the guy said, well, he's going to Ballard, right? I heard they have a pretty good drum line. Maybe he'd like that. And so my dad just asked me off the cuff that night at dinner and I didn't think about it. I didn't debate it. I just said, Oh yeah, I'll try that. Cool. There you go. And, and then from the first audition day, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like I it was, that. there was no thought, no thought went into it. I was just like, Oh, all right. That sounds kind of cool. I'll try For it. Sure. Yeah, man. You know, Don click reached out to me in my sophomore year and was like, Hey, do you want to be in the bass drum line? And I was like, what? And I got sick and I missed, uh, we were all saxophone players. I still, I played saxophone throughout the, my high school in the wind ensemble. Then I would just do marching percussion in the, in the, uh, fall. But uh, freshman year, I played saxophone in the band. Sophomore year, they said, hey, we need bass drums. And I got sick, and I missed a couple of days of school, and I'd heard we weren't going to do it. And then I heard we were. So I was just rolling with it. And uh, then the, the tenor drummer ended up not showing up, so I started playing tenors uh, that year, the trio trios. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. This was 84, 85, and, you know, I just – I went out to my first drumline rehearsal, and I remember I, I came around the corner, and I felt like something physically punched me in the stomach, like literally – you know, I, I, I'm very spiritual that way. You know, I try to listen to the universe. I think the universe is always reaching out to you. So I, I physically remember a sensation in my stomach. And I don't know if that was the universe saying, hey, this is, you know, going to be really special for you. So I believe in that stuff for sure. But had Don Click not asked, I don't know, I'd be, you know, shoot, probably either I'd be not alive or I'd be, you know, rolling in dough. I mean, who knows where I'd be. <laughs> but, we, you know. We, I'm a millionaire. Many great years the, of beats to Don Click. Well, yeah, and you know Don and I are still friends. I mean, he came out March '89, but you know I feel I'm a millionaire in the culture that I'm. I've immersed myself in, in the tribe I've chosen, and you know I. It's it just I have a rich, rich, rich tapestry of friends, and my wife's amazing. You know she's way smarter than I am, and the conversations are great, and they'll always be great when you marry someone smarter than you. And yeah, it's just, it's just been a real blessing for sure. Drumming is is taking me around the world, and you know, I, I love it and I respect it. And uh, I still have the desk in my office uh, from when I was, you know, three years old. Uh, that's what I drummed on. I didn't have a real feel. I still have my real feel from 89. But when I was growing up, all I had was this nightstand desk. And I played it until it almost had a hole in it. And I, I'm looking at it right now. It's three feet away. But it's near and dear to awesome. my heart. I love that. So, I have, I have so a whole desk that lie. has some, some bead punctures in it as well. Um, I still have it. It's sitting right next to me. It was in my my room when i was in high school yeah and when my real fill pads would break or my heavy hitter pads i was waiting on laminates i'd drum on it and my parents were like are you drumming on your desk and i'm like uh no right but right for sure was well i i played it on it the other day and it was so freaking loud and i'm like i can't believe my, how cool my parents were and i mean if you <laughs> saw the, the video that i sent out to blue devils i mean float played it for me in 90 and was like you can't believe how hard the whole drum line laughed at this had he told me that at the time i would have gotten back in the car and left but i mean you know, I'm in my bedroom. There's an eight-point buck on the wall. I mean, I'm from Nashville. You know, I'm deer hunting. You know, I'm I'm just normal kid. And uh, he was like, "Man, that was one of the weirdest videos we've got." I was like, "Great, thanks." Stuck out, didn't? I guess so. <laughs> well, these pathway moments are. I think what you said where you can just like feel something pulling you in a certain direction and you have to be kind of in tune with that to, to have your eyes and your ears open enough to listen and feel what you, what you got to do. I guess that brings me to my next question. You obviously were at Blue Coats 0506, 0506, having a lot of really good success. Like these lines are iconic even today, um, but ultimately decided to step up, just kind of take a step back. And then do you take this whole summer off in 2009 and that transition what was the what was kind of the mind or the thought process behind that i thought i was done uh you know i i spent i the only summers i've had off since 1988 have been 9108 and 2020 um you know drum corps is truly in my blood and um 
you know, I I just felt like I was burnt out at the end of 08 and I just needed some time. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, it just it just was time for me to take a break uh, or I was going to go crazy. I was going to school at the time. I was going to school full time uh, for my composition degree at Butler and, you know, trying to I was still the percussion specialist at Carmel. So it's like I would get up like super early. I'd get up at six. I'd drive to Carmel and be there for the early bird rehearsal. And then I'd leave there at like 7, 40, 8 o'clock, and I'd make my 9 o'clock class at Butler. I'd be there, and I'd drive a half hour back to my home, walk the dog, take a nap. Then I'd drive 40 minutes back to Carmel and do the marching band rehearsal. And then I'd drive to Butler and practice. And I did that for three years. And it, it just was a lot. I mean, something had to give. And, you know, I loved drum corps, but I really, at that point, I was like, I'm just, I'm done for a while. So I ended up making a video. Uh, in the mix with uh, dynamic marching, you know, and kind of, you know, band director in a box kind of thing. And uh, that was it. I hung out with my mom, which is nice. We traveled. And then Scott Coder called in 2010 and said, Jim Cassell is resigning. And I said, my feet are size 11. He wears size 24 shoes. I'm not sure I can fill them. <laughs> and, you know, this, you just do what you got to do, I guess, you know. Yeah. I. I love your writing, and I also do love Jim's writing. Those, like, 97 to 99 Vanguard. Oh, my gosh. Hearing him talk, too. I love listening to his version of On the Waterfront and then going and listening to your version and the differences, but also the similarities are – it's really fun. Well, you go back and listen to 86 to Unk's version, too, 86. I did not know that. Yeah. That was the first On the Waterfront, you know, playing – uh, it's funny, Letterman, man. Let, I was watching Letterman. He's like, and tonight we've got Leonard Bernstein, Bernstein, Bern. I'm sorry, what? It is Leonard. Okay. Um, so it, <laughs> it is Leonard Bernstein. So they're playing, you know, on the waterfront. That was incredible. There's also a 98 uh, Centerville version of it that they did in Winter Drumline when Tim uh, was sowing his oats and realizing the genius that he is. And uh, then there's the the version from um, uh, from from uh, Blue Coats and uh, uh, the other version we were speaking of. So. You know, and and, and uh, Jim's 97 version, which was just spectacular. So, you know, th- that tune is, it's, it's, it's an interesting tune, you know, because it, it's very rhythmic. It's very percussive on its own. But, uh, yeah, just a lot of fun to arrange. So you, you listen to it and you try to do some things different, but you've listened to other versions of it so much, you know, it's going to make it ingratiate its way into your, your thought process, which is, you know, just a compliment. Great artist steal for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean... If it ain't broke, don't right. fix it. I mean, for sure, yeah. Pay hop, pay homage to the to everything before you, and I I love that. So, been at Blue, you've been at Cavaliers now, 2011 to current, present, 2010, um, 2010 to now, 2010. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the uh, yeah. Mad World show with the Mylar heads. That's right. Yep. Yeah, carrying around two drums all summer. I do not envy that, but it was a really cool effect. <laughs> Hating it. Sorry, fellas. <laughs> oh, well, the quads are probably like, this is what you get. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so 2010 to current. And there's been many changes in the activity since you started teaching and then into arranging and now into more arranging and design. One of which has been super on the cusp and trendsetting is the introduction of electronics, uh, miking, sound mixing sound manipulation right how early on did you realize like we kind of need to be on the forefront of this or we're going to get left behind because this is going to be a thing i think 2005 when we did the uh um the Connexus? is that the connexus the, show the blue coat no it was the year before that and it was the 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 tabla speak solo where we had um you know doom. The, the mic doom doom yeah. Doom, doom. And, and, and yeah it was it was like we you know we wanted to do something cool and we wanted to do something memorable but we needed amplification to do it and then when 2010 rolled around um i remember looking at um the best in the business um tom mcgillen and saying let's go blow up dci so literally that was like the subject header in the line in the email and then he'd reply so by the start of the season i had like 42 emails in my email box that were blow up dci but it was all caps right like you know go crazy target on the back you know push it as far as we can 
and we just we just got crazy with that show mad world um and i was just learning about electronics you know i got asked to write a piece for midwest um by rick rodriguez uh spring high school was uh, was doing midwest he's like yeah no 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 uh pressure but she is is one of the guest artists and i'm like oh my god okay. <laughs> so i'm like well why don't i just write and i pushed myself i said i'll just write a piece for um uh, percussion and tape which is basically like digital audio track and percussion ensemble and i i learned logic so the piece would get better the more i learned in logic and the more i learned in logic the better the piece would get but i remember mixing that down and this is probably i can't remember when this was uh 2010 maybe 2011 2009 i remember uh, my computer didn't have enough juice so i did this before uber so i take a cab down to Michigan Avenue to the Apple store and I would find their baddest machine that was roped off and I would jump the rope and I'd pull the flash drive and headphones out of my, uh, uh, my jacket and I'd mix the logic file there at the Apple store <laughs> and then based on that rehearsal and then I would take it, save it and bring it back. And I had two days to do that. And by the time we got it, you know, it was as about as right as, you know, about as right it was going to be. Leonardo da Vinci once said that art is never finished, only abandoned. So I, I, I live by that. It's like, look, it's done. We had another week, you know, it'd probably be better, but it is what it is kind of thing. But for me, the electronics are, you know, music for Prague ended that last, you know, kind of genre of music. And now we're, we're in a weird, interesting place. We kind of have a foot in both seasons with acoustic and electronic. And it's the language of the young, Gen Y, Gen Z. So for me, it's just a way to, for me to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on and, and try and still you know, that progression again, like how far can we push this? And then you've got other people just, you know, Vince Oliver and other people in the game now that are Matt Jordan and, and, and Matt Black and, and Ruben Rodriguez and all these cats that are just doing it at such a high level. It's just, it's just been really cool, man, to see that blow up. But I wasn't afraid to push the envelope because I think, you know, it's not really about being first, but it, it came across so new and so fresh. And it was such an opportunity to create something that hadn't been done before because maybe we didn't have all the talent in the world or maybe we didn't have the, you know, the super high trumpet screamers or, you know, whatever. So whatever we could do to gain an advantage, we did. Electronics was one of them for sure. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. I mean, the electronics, in my opinion, have pros and cons, but the pros outweigh the cons just because the expanded creativity that it gives uh, the designers and I don't know, just the multitude of things that you can throw in that were never possibilities before. I really like that that Da Vinci quote that you threw out. Um, I have always heard a quote, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's just kind of like you can never, you can never fail if you don't stop trying. Um, sure. So that's just kind of like the thing. Like maybe this didn't work the, quite the way we wanted it to, or didn't end up the quite the way. But that doesn't mean it was a failure. It's just it wasn't what I originally envisioned. You know, you and, know. And I love the. Go ahead. No, go ahead, brother. I was just going to say I love the evolution that things take and the way that this activity is creative and you end up creating something maybe you didn't intentionally mean to even start when you – or do when you started. Like you had a goal, but it, it altered itself along the way. You know, I think failure is so important. You know, it, you touch a hot stove, it's hot. I get it. I won't do that again. Now I know. But failure is like going to a party and hearing someone say something about you that – you weren't supposed to hear and it's so honest that no one would ever say that to your face and you learn so much about yourself in that three seconds i think to me that's what failure is man and you, you have to be okay with failing you just have to be okay with failing it's that difference between good and great the only way you're going to be better than you ever thought you could is if you push the hell out of yourself and you know you can't be in your comfort zone because your comfort zone is last year's you know, fifth place. I mean, it's it's evolving so quickly and kids are so freaking talented and designers are starting to take a lot more chances. And, you know, it used to just be the, you know, the Ralph Hardimans and the Larry McCormick's and the um, and the Dennis Delucia's and the Tom Floats and the Tom Hannum's. And, you know, and, and then it, it slowly kind of evolved into uh, like everything else. You know, you've got you've got the ability to mix this killer synthesizer sound on your phone. Um, and it, it just has really opened up, you know, Steven Spielberg about 20 years ago said, you know, one day a nine year old with a camera is going to make an incredible movie because she has access to the technology. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that for sure. Dude, the, the technology that kids have with like their iPhones and it's like, oh, this was all made on my, my iPhone. It's just like, what? 
<laughs> I mean, that, that, I think that's how, you know, like everyone can dunk now in the NBA. I mean, it's just there's a progression, you know, from from yes. um, Julia Serving to Michael Jordan now to what's happening. And it's the same thing now. These kids have all that information. You know, I used to have hard copies of like, you know, Flam Accents. You know, now you can find anything and everything and tips and tricks and practice tips and play alongs. And it's just it's amazing. It's a blessing and a curse. But I think like anything, you know, like sugar is delicious, but too much of it is bad. I think it's like anything else. Just use it the right way. Like a, like you said, with electronics, if a band director comes up to me and says, I need 16 count bass drop here because we need 16 counts because the drill changed. That's really kind of abusing that instrument a little bit, you know. So if it's organic and cool, I'm, I'm kind of all about it. But. You know, the band director's paying the check. It's like, you got it. But I think that <laughs> there's a better way to do the electronic thing. But yeah, man, I'm all about the progression. You know, the coolest thing for me would be to get passed up because, you know, I think it's coming and that's how things work. You know, it, it just that's, you know, you feel like you've you're 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 the reason that you're getting passed up. You know, you've inspired others. And that's that's important. Well, we're not like, we're not on this earth for very long. You know, we got to try and push. Very true. So, well, like you, all right. Go ahead, Mike. No, we're we're coming up. We're just past the hour mark. I know we're a little crunched on time. I wanted to make sure we had a chance to ask one or two other things. Firstly, do you have anything to like to add to the conversation about like the 08 summer? There's a lot of stories are going around. We Let's talked to Chris talk Gary. About it. Let's just talk about it. I don't want you guys to have to dance around it. Um, <laughs> okay. What's so, the deal? What actually happened? Like, was it as crazy as what some of the people that were in it have said? Like the rumors? I don't, really I don't know. Um, so you, you take this tremendous amount of talent and, and art artists and you put them in like a very small town for six weeks and they go crazy. They go stir crazy. The staff goes stir crazy. So, you know, these dudes were, you know, getting into getting into being mischievous, like, you know, incredibly talented, passionate people do. And, uh, you know, I remember I got a call that something had gone down. So I, I, I did. I shouldn't have done this, but I went and I barked at the line. I barked at at at, at Justin and, you know, I I disrespected them a little bit and because I, I felt they had disrespected. But there was a much better way to, you know old new me would, would not have done that. Um, you know, I'd worked so hard to gain their trust and, you know, there was still a level of, of love there, but it, it was definitely getting funky. Um, I was getting burnt out. Uh, I, I was becoming a kind of a dick and, you know, I, I was just like, I think I'm done. I remember telling Dave, um, Glasgow, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm out. And he's like, you know what? And I was like, I I'm, I'm finished. Um, so we had some really, really smart cats and some really talented dudes. And, um, you know, like, like any talented group, you know, they, they, they got a little, they probably got a little buzzed on Saturday night. And, you know, I remember going out onto the field and, you know, saying guys, you know, be cool, be cool, be cool. And, you know, then a, a company that 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 I love dearly, you know, the representative reaches out and says, hey, you know, one of your kids is, you know, having some he's sick. Uh, he's in the parking lot. And, you know, it shined poorly on the child. It shined poorly on the company. It shined poorly on the blue coats. I mean, I, I wouldn't want anybody, you know, to be sitting in a, any uniform, you know, passed out in the parking lot. Or, you know, just really, in a, in, really unfortunate uh, for this kid and really unfortunate for the line and the organization and the staff. Um, and I was so angry at them. Um, and maybe I was just angry at, you know, the fact that I, I didn't think the show was as competitive as it should have been, especially after the success after the success we'd had the year before. And I'm probably as much to blame as anybody, maybe more to blame. Uh, I sent a really like nasty email. Uh, out to everybody I was so angry and pissed and I included the pit and I shouldn't have you know so that that was kind of my fault and you know I had a lot of people come up and say hey you know like you know whatever email you know reply single reply like hey I'm sorry I had a couple that I really pissed off and we went back and forth on it then we finally squashed it but that was a learning experience I think for all of us you know it's like 
it had to implode a little bit, I guess. Um, it, it was just, it was just, it was like ma- managing the Lakers. You know, you're managing all stars and, and you're managing people that are incredible at what they do. I mean, let's be honest, rudimental percussionists and, and people that are in the front ensembles, they're like the top 1% of what they do, right? So, yeah, man. So that that was that was the 08 experience. Um, um, those guys were perhaps a little tipsy for finals. And, and uh, you know, it was kind of the last straw for me of, of what I probably would have found a last straw anyway, not blaming those cats. Um, so that's what went down. And uh, it's regrettable because it, it shined poorly on the blue coats. Uh, and, you know, I feel I, I'm not happy with that. Um, it shined poorly on 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 that line. It, it wasn't the way that line deserved to kind of go down, you know, because I thought they 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 could have should have won drums maybe that year in 08. Um, no disrespect to to uh, Phantom uh, or Cavaliers actually, who I think beat us at finals. But you know, I got to give a shout out to my my crew, and uh, you know, I, I'm 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 gonna say I, I thought that line was spectacular, and uh, that. They did everything gloriously. They played incredibly. Uh, they went out to final Saturday night incredibly. Um, you know, they did everything to um, extreme. And what can you do? You know, that's art. Fair. I mean, yeah. those tapes are immortalized. They uh, they speak for themselves. I think to kind of take this whole thing full circle, full circle, and put a bow on it. We started off kind of talking about a moment that you had with teaching with Brett Kuhn that kind of impacted you. And then I think that the moments that you've had with your members of your ensemble, I mean, people that were in it that you taught with that are carrying on your legacy as well. And you're like kind of drumming family tree, the Eric Shrivers, the Josh Brickies, the Dan Shacks. I mean, there's tons of them. I mean, I'm old. Uh, and, <laughs> and what those people are doing. But you, I mean, and you black. said it yourself, you, you, you won't do it forever. So you and people like Lee Bettis and Unkst and Scott Johnson and Paul Rinnick. And I mean, the list goes on all the way down, but just uh, training all the next generation. Heart. All those guys, including myself, are kids at heart. My dad was the same way. I still feel like I'm figuring stuff out. Like, oh, that that's that rhythm? Really? You know, like I, I just, I, you know, I, I still feel like my, my writing is still, you know, 31 years old. Like I'm still trying to get better. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still wowed by other groups. And I can tell you that Unks getting to know him and Lee and, you know, even Paul, you know, those guys, I mean, we're all still learning. And I think that's, that's, that's the beauty of this Tom Unks, Tom Hannum. Oh my God. You know, now that he's got his crew over there. I mean, yeah, we're, we're all still in the mix because we're smart enough to realize that it's, it's. It, it takes a village these days, man. You can't win drums by yourself. For sure. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think Dude, that a, was epic. That, that's a solid <laughs> way to wrap this up, honestly. You guys are amazing, man. I so appreciate you both. And I'm, I'm, I'm very respectful of your time and of your accomplishments. And, and really what you're doing for the activity, I, I can't thank you enough. It means a hell of a lot. Likewise, man. We no, thank uh, you. We appreciate. appreciate we love this activity. I think it's impacted all three of us in just to the to the heart uh, how we live our daily lives. So I mean, yep. we appreciate you taking the time to just share share the love with everybody. Absolutely, my yep. my pleasure and honor. And uh, you know, uh, just good luck to you guys. And when I see, you, I give you a big hug, man. I you know, hopefully that day's coming soon. Soon. Yep. Hopefully we'll all be able to get together again. I'm not after. Uh, after that episode, I'm not going to reiterate the spiel about social media. You guys know where to find us. Subscribe to YouTube, blah, 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 Lone Star Percussion. Mike, this <laughs> has been great. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll get to see you at a show sometime soon. It sounds amazing. I appreciate you, Evan and Michael. Thank you so much, fellas. Peace. Yep. Cool.